0: Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold, and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs.
1: Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number forty-three. I'm Kyle Gold.
0: I am technologically empowered Cam Hirosaki.
1: And while uh, I'm in our Secure Mountain location, our otter is a remote traveling otter today. He's taking the river downstream and is uh, podcasting with us from a secret underwater den somewhere, I think.
0: Yes. You you didn't want to be there when Dr. Impossible launched his robot sharks at me.
1: Uh, Actually, I kind of did.
0: I was about to say, like, I barely got out of there through the skin of my teeth. And then I'm like, or I could say it by the skin of my sheath. And then I'm like, oh, no, that sounds like it would hurt. Yeah. And I don't want to to know why I wasn't wearing pants around murderous robot sharks.
1: I think our listeners just kind of assume you're always not wearing pants.
0: Yeah, I guess neither of us help with that mental image, do we?
1: No. And I, I, I should say I can only see you from, like, the chest up. So you could be wearing not pants right now.
0: Ooh, not pants.
1: <laughs> well, that's what Not Tube was wearing the other day. <laughs> uh, that's that. Actually, that's probably more accurate. Not Tube was not wearing not pants.
0: I was going to say, Not Tube isn't a name; it's a command. <laughs> and now he's not my friend anymore. Apparently, oh, I
1: wonder if the cast of Not Cast wears not pants on Not Cast.
0: With all their vacuum breaking antics.
1: Yes. Um. Anyhow, so I've been um, I've been working on a lot of stuff that's not really story related. I've been working on a few short stories, uh, mostly trying to get my new website up and running for uh, various story related reasons. But uh, what have what have you been up to?
0: Well, I got back to work on the secret project and there's another short story that I'm I sort of was piddling with for a while and then I put that on hold to work on the secret project. Um, and I haven't been able to get back to it because of the fact that I'm dealing, you know, with Doctor Impossible and his murderous underwater ninja robot squad.
1: Right. We all hate when that happens. Yeah. But fortunately we have a bunch of Helpful listeners who have written in enormously long questions for us to answer this week, so probably just as well we don't have a whole lot to talk about on our own. Ah, Kit has reminded me that we should mention that Unsheathed Volume 2, the DVD, will be coming out at Anthrocon. It will be for sale at the SoFWolf Press table. Uh, We'll have episodes, I believe, 25 through 42, so not this one. Um... Uh, 25 through 43, so we will be including this episode. So, what we're saying now will be burned into DVDs at Anthrocon.
0: Wow, uh, so it's like I can feel the technology all over me in every way, shape, and form.
1: I know. Those plastic layers are so confining.
0: I was going to say, you can hear about my last year's, or not last year's, last week's Tale of Woe when Kit took my muzzle toy away.
1: Aw, uh, that was sad. Um, But, uh, Also, what we're hoping is that that Unsheathed Volume 2 will include as a special bonus feature me reading the first chapter of the Out of Position sequel draft that I just handed out to people last week.
0: Ooh, I didn't hear about that plan.
1: That was a a K-Tech-inspired plan that just kind of went into effect this weekend.
0: Oh, I think that's a good plan. Also, I read a bunch of Yiffy stuff, too. That'll probably be... Some of it will be on there, I think.
1: Yes, some of your stuff yeah. will be on there. And I believe... Uh, yes, your your Taylor and the Desk Husky story, which I quite enjoyed.
0: Okay, so, yeah. trippy Ottercocks. Yeah, All about those. Oh, yeah. I knew it was either Drippy Ottercocks I still or can't see
1: below your chest level.
0: That's right, you can. not
1: um, can tilt...
0: I could tilt the camera down.
1: That's all right. Save that for after the show. Although I can't yeah. give you the cake. Um. But anyway, what else is? Oh, oh, the that uh, that lovely recording that uh, B Hop and Alex Vance did of the ISWA semifinals. They have graciously agreed to allow us to reproduce on DVD. They made oh, it as a gift for us, and so we will be including it as a bonus for our listeners, even though uh, they can get it online, and it's not technically us. But it was a story I wrote, so.
0: Can we also include on the DVD, as a gift, the hologram of Princess Leia asking Obi-Wan Kenobi to come to her home planet of Alderaan?
1: We, uh, we will write to George Lucas, and if we get an answer in the next couple days, we will. Uh, we will put it on there.
0: I'm sure I'm sure Lucasfilm Limited has like a super fast turnaround time.
1: Oh yeah. I'll just then, I'll just fill the envelope with Mediclorians and then we'll be all set.
0: Also, I think like the, you know, iPhone version 4 has a holo projector on it, so there you go.
1: <laughs> and it probably has that Princess Leia hologram pre-installed.
0: Is I know it... it's permanently embedded into Carrie Fisher's head.
1: <laughs> yes, we did see her show. But anyway, Well, glad you're doing well and glad that our uh, technology can reach down into the underwater den past the robot sharks.
0: Dr. Impossible's not going to stop me.
1: Nope. It's our first letter. Hey, kids. Just was listening to the podcast where you were at WonderCon and someone talked about what the new furry incubators are. Our generation, those in the late 20s to early 40s, came from cartoons and movies. The younger ones, early teens to early 20s, seem to be bringing in their characters and universes from video games and internet. This is just a general observation of mine, but I have seen it a lot... I have, I'm sorry. But I have seen a lot more anthro Pokemon, Gombas, and other such Anthro characters. There's also a lot of founded on the internet, but that's been going on for a bit now. Question. Do you have any tips for screenplay writing? I know you've talked about stories, but not sure if you covered screenplays. Missed you at WonderCon. Sad skunk is sad. Loran. It
0: is Im- I have to say, just real quick, um, I'm pretty internet savvy, and I have no idea what Gombas are. Do
1: I'm wondering know? if they're Goombas from Mario Brothers.
0: Yeah, but I've never seen an Anthro Goomba.
1: Well, yeah, I've not either, but um, I, I, do, I do think some more, more and more people are coming into Furry via anime. You can kind of see that with influences on some of the, the newer artwork coming in. It's not just Pokemon, but also anime style.
0: That's true, and I know that people, um, like our buddies at NotCast, uh, doing stuff down at uh, at Acon. Acon, down in Dallas, and apparently there's enough of a furry contingent there to make, you know, selling stuff profitable down there.
1: True. Although I, also, didn't, oh, I didn't think they had as good a reception last year.
0: No, I heard it was kind of blah, but I mean, this year I guess it was, I mean, it sounded like they had a pretty good time, and I know they had a party, and yep but yeah before we move on to the the screenplay question that's actually with the whole anime thing i've had several fans actually like doubt and like question that i can actually speak japanese i think that people are just saying it's like oh he just has like a fake japanese name but he doesn't actually speak the language and i just want to just say for the record that yes i absolutely do and i will prove it if i have to but not right now
1: okay I, I I respect your right to not speak Japanese.
0: I was going to say, wait—that that sounds really bad. Like I c- I could prove it, but I won't. No, I, I that
1: doesn't like that. Make
0: any sense?
1: I'm uh I I also choose to exercise my right not to speak Japanese.
0: Kit 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 said to to say something dirty, so you know something dirty in Japanese would be nanika yarashi koto. So there you go. That I guess that's enough proof right there.
1: Sounds good to me. Um, So the screenplay thing... Screenplays are mostly dialogue, so you have to be really, really good with your dialogue, but you also need to do description of the scenes, and you have to get really good at describing things in, like, three to four lines, because you can't write huge two-paragraph descriptions of each location as you enter the scene... Description should be like three or four lines, and then it should go into dialogue. And you should break up the dialogue with directions and movement and stuff that's going on, because otherwise, it just becomes kind of talking head conversations. Right. Um, so there's a lot of that pacing with screenplays, which is different from prose stories. And the dialogue also, you don't have as much room to wander as you do right. in prose. The dialogue has to be really, like, every piece of dialogue has to move the characters and the story forward.
0: Yeah, it's all very punchy, and people don't tend to monologue very much. And you can sort of see the effect you're having on the actual, like, page space, how much rambling is going on. So it sort of keeps itself in check. Right. Well, I,
1: I, I, oh. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we have talked about it before. So
0: we talked about it some. Um... And also, like, if you want to just sort of see you know, a general idea of how good screenplays are done, think of a movie that you thought was particularly well done, and odds are you can find the screenplay for it online.
1: Yeah, or at least the the shooting script if not the original screenplay. Right. Um, yeah, definitely go look them up online. Again, you know, if you want to figure out how to do something, go look at the people who have done it really well and study what they did and copy it yeah. till you figure it out on your own.
0: I was going to say, The Apartment is a particularly good one, but don't try to duplicate that.
1: Oh, The Apartment is great. American Beauty is a great screenplay also. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of some other ones.
0: Thelma and Louise.
1: Thelma and Louise. There was one recent movie where I was real impressed with the script. Oh, Up in the Air. I thought Up in the Air oh, okay. it was, a, it was a terrific I screenplay. I, was, I
0: still haven't seen that.
1: Uh, we'll have to fix that sometime. Oh, I mean, the it's... screenplay
0: for Chinatown, too. Yes. Chinatown's another good one.
1: But I mean, George Clooney, come on.
0: <laughs> yes, we all know you. you're, you're all Murray for George Clooney.
1: Only because he reminds me of Kit. Alright, why don't you read well, the next I letter?
0: I now, have to, I now have to reanalyze every George Clooney movie I've ever seen.
1: Don't watch Solaris.
0: Oh, okay, I won't. Oh. So. Greetings, podcasters. I'm a long-time listener, and just wanted to add a couple of quick comments. And you mentioned he's a few shows behind, so we hope it's not too late. Uh, on the question of what to call it when you read a story with a species other than what the author described, Transubspeciation. I, I like that delightful. a lot. <laughs> oh my god, I'm keeping that. You, <laughs> you, sir, you win a cookie and an internet.
1: Yes, I agree. <laughs>
0: That's that's phenomenal. You also talked a little about the fiftieth show and were wondering what you'd do. How about a segment from the Tech Savvy Wolf if his favorite clips? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm sure given the nature of your shows and discussions, that lines out of context could be amusing. Plus it could make for an interesting retrospective of style and topics. In any case, thanks for the informative show. Take care. Nicodemus. Hey Nick. You know, actually, just before we started recording, there was a line that, that Kyle said that I said, we should save that for an outtake.
1: Yeah, it was something about Kit putting something... Oh, no, 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 it was, where yeah. should I put it in, I think.
0: No, you said, you said where, sh- where should I stick this in, Kit?
1: Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, technology and sex are so similar sometimes.
0: Oh, just ask Pyro.
1: We are, since he owes us a challenge story.
0: Yeah. With bacon lube or something.
1: Yeah, bacon lube and football and rats.
0: Speaking of football, did you see the score of the Germany game? No. It was like four nothing. Germany? In 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 the world. I mean Cup. who won? Germany. Okay. Yeah. Which like four to nothing in soccer, that's like twenty eight to nothing in baseball.
1: I know, that's why I find it difficult to watch soccer.
0: I do too. I'm just following the scores and not watching the games
1: right I do think that uh, uh, (laughs) yes Kit Kit has reminded me that I did like the outcome of the USA England game because Foxes always love a tied game
0: Uh,
1: but also uh, 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 in your face foosball
0: I don't know and Chondral for that matter the thing is the game only ended up tied because of sloppy ball handling
1: isn't that how it always happens Um,
0: and, and invariably, one of the two parties was disappointed
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, i think I think pulling out some clips could be entertaining, uh, not just because it would make for a retrospective of our style and stuff, but also because he could show the origin of some of the things on the show. like I think it's either in the second or third episode where you're, you said something like, "Do we have to have a blowjob reference on every show?" And I think the second episode is the one where you first talk about wearing pants.
0: And it's either the second or third where we first mention the androgynous robot fox. Yes. In fact, I think think it directly had to do with the lack of pants. I
1: I think it might have. And the blowjobs, for that matter.
0: I was remote on that episode, too.
1: You were. But we didn't have video.
0: We didn't have video. And I had a a headset that I had stolen from my... I didn't steal it from my company. It was with me as part of my travels and I'm like oh hey I can use this to to just call into the show
1: which was really funny because like the first we'd done one episode and we thought hey this is pretty cool and then you're like oh I'm gonna be out of town (laughs) after this and we thought oh you know should we try to do it again while you're out of town and just deal with all the technology and stuff and we were trying to each record our tracks separately and make them sync up and you know, we could easily just have stopped doing the podcast right there, and we might not have picked it up again. But well,
0: the thing is, if it hadn't been for the technological nightmares and us sucking so bad, we wouldn't have inspired Kit to just step in and do it all for us.
1: That is true. When uh, foxes and otters can't quite handle their equipment right, the wolf has to step in and show them how it's done.
0: You can't get this to work right. Will you help us? Will you lend us a helping bar?
1: And he did. Uh, I, will,
0: I, I will say that in addition to battling the hordes of Dr. Impossible, I've also been, like, incorrigibly horny for the last few days, so bear with bear with me here.
1: I, I, I can attest to that as well. <laughs> um, I'm very glad this is not a video podcast. Anyway, dear prime specimens of the Lutron and Volpon variety, by this time in my writing career... I've realized that by the time I've written to the final word of a story, the rest of the story has been reread and rehashed so many times that I've never produced something I'd call a first draft. If I were to label it, I'd say that I'm a progressive editor. Every time I sit down to write, I spend a few minutes, or five, or twenty, reading back over the story so far, editing as I go. By the time I reach the blank space of the unwritten future, the entire story is fresh in my mind, with the added bonus of having caught the incorrect, the awkward, and the plain stupid from my last few writing sessions. In writing the above paragraph, I've deleted more text than you're actually receiving from me. My first paragraph originally started to relate a story about my history in writing that I doubt any of your readers would find interesting. I find it amusing that he and we both say readers, even though all we have is listeners. Uh, apparently you didn't catch all your awkward mistakes. Oh, sorry, that was mean. Uh, I even had a second paragraph that was repurposed after I removed the story, then was scrapped completely to remove excerpts from my own writing, which were more e polishing than of actual use to my point. Even this paragraph was originally a list of useful tips for editing your own work that I realized was so generic that you could pick it up from any Cliff Notes for authors. So instead of offering some editing pointers that are likely to be forgotten before your listeners' next draft, I'd like to make a point. I find that as a writer, I care about every word of mine that meets proverbial paper. I care about being correct, even if it's as casual as writing to my favorite podcast, or responding to a post on a forum, or shooting a funny anecdote to my live journal. If you remember the last time you chatted in your favorite online game of choice, I'm that dumbass in the chat room who is bothering to punctuate and spell correctly even though no one will notice. For me, writing is a lifestyle that revolves around how you use and treat the language even when, and especially when, it doesn't matter. Thanks as always for a fun listen. Candrel, muzzle ride misbeliever and follower of a nation who couldn't beat us in soccer. Does
0: this mean that we tied with Candrel?
1: Oh, oh, he wishes. I don't actually know if he does wish. I don't know much about him except that what he's written into the show and brief chats on Live Journal and stuff.
0: He he does or at least did have a cute fox butt icon on Fur Affinity. So. Oh, that's
1: true. I'm actually mostly know. familiar with his cute fox running around and smacking into the fourth wall icon on Live yes, journal. Yes,
0: that one's cute.
1: Which is great. It's um, not
0: fox but cute, but it's still
1: cute. So this letter was a good follow-up to episode 42, where we basically made that same point in, like, 45 minutes with not Tube. Um, and that episode has actually been followed up by Pyro Stinger on a Furfinity journal which he titled A Call to Arms. If you go to Pyro's FA account, which is, I think, just under Pyro Stinger, he hasn't adopted his new name yet. He took up our, I don't know that we really had a call, to, I guess we kind of had a call to action, but he took up the cause and said, look, demand better from your furry fiction. And I think that's what, kind of what Kondral's saying here, except Kondral's saying, you know, anywhere you use the language, use it right.
0: Yeah, like, even when I send text messages, you know, it doesn't take that long to type out Y-O-U. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't use, like, text speak with my text messages. I just can't bring myself to do it.
1: And no, I can't either. And, and I, don't,
0: I don't know a lot of people who do either.
1: No, what's funny is I got a an email recently from a, a fan that was all in text speak on the email. which <sighs> That's is just lazy. Which Which happens a lot, and... I'm assuming that the email might have been sent from like an iPhone or something, but
0: yeah. But but even still, an iPhone has a keyboard on it. You can type out whole words. Yeah. It even auto it auto completes and corrects typos for you. There's no excuse for that shit.
1: Yeah, I know. It was um, it was just kind of amusing.
0: Dear listeners, don't send us chat speak.
1: We we do always appreciate well written and well punctuated emails and you know for the most part the ones we get people take care in writing them and we do really appreciate that
0: which is good well that's good it's also not surprising since we have a writing podcast and the bulk of people who listen to us are people who are trying to get better at writing
1: yeah i know in notcast sometimes you'll hear them stumble over emails and they're like man you guys would not believe how much i'm correcting this email um for the record we rarely have to do that
0: yeah Y'all are a good lot. Yep. Uh, real Fist quick about bumps. his first... Yes. his Candle's uh, first point here about uh, not really putting out a first draft. Uh, I forget in our last thing. Did I point out the alternating fast draft, slow draft thing? Did I mention that at all?
1: Um, I don't remember offhand, but we can sort of recap it real quick.
0: Okay. So that that's the advice that comes from uh, the Stephen Cook Modern Writers Workshop Uh, which I'm pretty sure we've mentioned by name uh, on the show, which is a great, great resource. And basically, you know, the general idea is it doesn't really so much matter. Like some people say, Oh, like just get the first draft out and then, you know, polish the second one. And then some people say, okay, no, like, you know, take your time to, you know, write like a really detailed first draft and then you just make quick edits through the second one. And, Sort of the way it works is just it seems to be that for most people, it doesn't matter which order you go in so much as if you alternate whether it's a fast draft or a slow draft as you go back and forth. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, if your first draft you bang out really quickly on the next time through, take your time to, you know, really make sure you get it right. Or if, you know, your first draft, you know, you spent a whole lot of time on, then you don't need to drag when you're revising and editing it the second time. Right, and so forth, which i actually think, and just uh, that just in my experience with writing and in dealing with reading drafts that other authors like Kyle uh, you know experience I've gotten from that, I think that there is a a very good gem of wisdom in that
1: yeah I, t- I totally agree, um, because at some point, you really do have to take care and pay attention to what you're doing with your story. Whether yeah. that's the first time through. And I think, you know, d- despite the fact that I that I write fairly quickly, I would call myself a slow first drafter, relatively speaking. Because by the time I finish the first draft, the story is fairly complete. I would say it's maybe like 75% of the way to where I want it to be, Um What I end up doing in the redraft is kind of looking at the overall story, trying to look at the plot and see, like, again, with this out of position two, what I did was moved a couple scenes around. I de-emphasized some characters. I brought forward a couple of other characters and just kind of tried to strengthen the themes that were already there. I wouldn't say that was fast, fast, but... It certainly took me less time to do that. It only yeah. took it took me about a month to do that, where it took me about six to write the the manuscript.
0: Yeah, uh, with Summerhill, Summerhill's a weird case because it started as a short story and then turned into a short novel, and in the rewrite, it's probably going to turn into a longer novel. So that's kind of atypical. That in Summerhill is just weird in general. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I can apply any of what I've learned from writing specifically to Summerhill other than just saying that a lot of it is just instinct and just saying, well, I'm going to put words down and I hope they're right.
1: Right. And I think a lot of people who do fast first drafts just kind of throw every idea they have connected to the story onto the page. And that's why the the second the slower second draft has to be slower because you need to go back and read through the whole thing and then see what fits and what doesn't. And that's a longer process than if I, I write I kind of write like Condrill does, only a little I think a little faster. I don't reread yeah. the whole story every time I go back to write it. I basically and I think I've mentioned this. When I'm when I'm doing a you know, I have to write every day. I write uh I'll, I'll write a section, and then I'll be thinking about that section, what I've just written, and then what I'm going to write next in the intervening time between I sit when I finish that and when I sit down at the keyboard again. So when I sit down again, I'll have thought, oh, you know what should have come up in that scene but didn't was this. Or usually I don't have a problem with saying, oh, this seemed out of character, because the characters are kind of what's foremost in my mind. So they usually behave correctly. Sometimes what I have a problem with is the way that they want to behave does not help the plot, and then I have to make the world, make them behave the right way.
0: Yeah, I, know. I think I get what you mean by that.
1: At any rate, much uh, much appreciation to Condrill for promoting good use of the language, and uh, hopefully our, uh, our and Pyro's revolution will take hold. The revolution will be punctuated.
0: <laughs> and you know, if we can't win, we can at least hope for a tie.
1: We can always hope for a tie. Uh, so
0: moving on. Why don't you go um, on here? Sorry. Okay. Um, we've been rambling a lot, so I will be quick with this one. Okay. Uh, this is this is from Trendane again. It says, yeah, I have a question for you guys. I tend to use a lot of puns, not to Xanthian levels, mind you. Thank God for that. (laughs) Especially in my story titles. But sometimes things like that can get heavily overdone. How does one know when funny isn't funny anymore in writing? That's a tricky one because humor in general is really hard in writing. And I think I've said on the podcast before, I think that humor is the hardest thing to write.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with that. I I don't think I've ever had a problem with something I've written being too funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Usually, I'll be like, "Hey, this started out kind of light and funny, and then I made it real serious towards the end. so I don't I'm know. Just, I think I just oh God I think you have to, you have to trust your senses on that like you do everything else, and reread it, set it aside for a couple weeks, come back and read it again. If you still think it's funny, keep it in, pass it around to people whose opinions you trust. If they all think it's funny, then that's fine. If they say, you know, this is starting to remind me of dragging on a pedestal, then you should probably dial back on the puns.
0: Another thing to keep in mind is think about why it's funny. If it's funny because it's like a furry fandom in-joke, that's different than if it's just sort of funny on its own merits
1: humor is humor is better when a large portion of the target audience will get it. Yes. If you are if you are writing a story that you are only going to distribute within the furry fandom and you don't care who else sees it, then you can call your main character uh, Fluffy Mcifficuddles and people will be amused by that. I mean, whereas if you you, you know, show that to some of your non furry friends they'll be like, that's a dumb name.
0: He's a fox bunny. <laughs> her, her.
1: He's a fun otter.
0: He's an Otsky. Actually I think we have an Otsky who listens to the show. Wow.
1: I was like, does he otter, have a, a does he have a swisher or a rudder?
0: I think he has a slippery curly tail, maybe.
1: That's I weird. haven't checked. Pics, or picks or it didn't happen.
0: Lot lots of pics. Preferably from several artists with red borders on FA
1: I don't need to know what kind of sheath he has, but Yeah, so you know that the the question that you ask is you know, how do you know when funny isn't funny anymore? How do you know when a character's been developed properly? How do you know when your narrative is strong enough? How do you know when your themes are worthwhile? All of these are things that you do by practicing. You gain a feel for it. You pass it around to people. You figure out, you know, which of my stories gets the best response, which things do people write and say, I've read this six times and it just keeps getting funnier, and which things do you put out there and people are going, oh, the pun was kind of clever and then nobody comments on it again. And The thing that you have to do as a writer in all these cases is learn from experience. Go back and read your own older stuff. Be critical of yourself. Um, Listen to criticism. Don't obsess over it. You know, all those things. I'm
0: just just thinking about Ross and Chandler arguing about which one of them came up with the joke before Monica finally just breaks them down and tells them, The joke sucks! (laughs) (laughs) Neither of you should be proud of this.
1: Wow, Friends reference instead of 30 Rock.
0: It can't always be thirty rock. That's
1: true. Friends has been on in syndication for a while too. So, uh, all right, I'm going to move on and redact this letter a little bit. This one is from Earth Digger, who is apparently going to meet us at Rainforest. Uh, he has finished the first actual draft of a short story, and he wanted to share something that helped him get past the self-editing loop that he found himself in, which is. Sounds kind of like what Condrell was doing, except it, you know, actually stalled his progress on the story. Um, He said, I took something that happened in my real life, embellished details, changed facts, and otherwise turned it into a fictional story. This made it quite easy to focus on just getting the story down so it could be edited later. Before I knew it, I had a rough draft, and I'm actually finding it fun to go back and work on the details, add and remove scenes, move events around on the timeline, and otherwise edit the pieces that make up the story. Even if, it's a writing, even if it's just a writing exercise, I feel it's been fairly productive. Now, I have two things to say to you two. The first is a question. Do either of you have any tips you can think of to help a writer get over self-editing and get to writing? And secondly, I'd like to be called out on the podcast. Just a small goal, nothing major, but I'm hoping to get this short story finished before the end of June, and would like to be held to it. I know it is not quite a difficult goal, especially as I'm only aiming for 5,000 words or so, but for someone who has started a million stories and never finished one, I feel it is somehow appropriate. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to seeing you again. All your, right, well,
0: you're officially called out.
1: Your Moogle hat-wearing neophyte mole, earth digger. Um, yes, official Patch call out. Gunman. Finish by the end of June. Send us a progress report.
0: I wonder if he's related to the Underminer.
1: Ooh, maybe. <laughs> um, and tips to get over self-editing. You know, self-editing is largely a matter of lack of confidence. Yeah you go back and you keep editing your own work because you don't think it's good enough and you think, if I if I edit it one more pass, it'll be good enough to put out there. If I edit it one more pass, it'll be good enough to put out and then I can show people, oh, it's not quite good enough yet and, you know, let me tell you something. If I go back and pick up any one of my books off the shelf, I will have very little difficulty flipping to a page, uh, probably because I know where where they all are at this point, but there's Always mistakes that are going to f- slide through, even when books have been looked over by a dozen pairs of eyes, even when they've gone through the publishing process. You can find books out there published by huge publishing houses that have mistakes in them. Um, there was a semi famous one in one of the Harry Potter books, I think. But at any rate.
0: Did I ever mention Mercedes Lackey with O'Coddis?
1: No, that's great.
0: I, th- I thought I did. Yes, O oh, goddess, and like you're just picturing this like female fish, big female wearing fish, this, wearing like these like, like this Greek pantheon robes.
1: That's awesome. Um, anyway, was self-editing is a matter of confidence. So what you have to do is say, "This is it. I'm giving this to a trusted friend, and they're going to tell me." You know, I'll let them do an editing pass, and then when it's done, I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, you just have to do it. It's like you know, diving off the high dive at the swimming pool.
0: Also, look at it this way. Writing and editing are your two big steps for creating a story. So if you write and then don't edit, you've only done half the job. Yep. And it's going to show. And it's like, you know, if you, you know, throw up, you know, the primer on your wall and then don't do the final paint job, it's gonna look like shit. And if you write a story and then don't go back and edit it, it's going to look like shit.
1: So. Well, yeah, and on on the other hand, if you throw up the primer and then you put on a coat of paint and then you put on another coat of paint and then you put on another coat of paint and then you put on another coat of paint, beyond a certain point it stops looking good and you're not gonna be able to make it any better. And that's why Unless you just
0: burn the house down and start all over.
1: Yeah, which is a lot easier to do with a store than a house. But that's why you need at least one trusted friend who can tell you, okay, this is where you need to focus your work, or, you know, this looks as good as you're going to get it, just post it. And again, like we're saying with everything else, you have to do it at least once. And I um, I think your attitude actually... The comment that you make here where you say, I'm not sure if this will turn out to be a great story, but even as just a writing exercise, I feel this has been fairly productive. I think is a great, uh, in one sense, it's a great attitude because you have to have that attitude towards all your stories. This was always, it was worth doing for a reason. Yeah. I will say, I think you should aim for all your stories to be great stories, yeah. but accept that not all of them will be.
0: Right. And also, you know, to your own credit, you say, Hey, I think what I've already written is pretty good. Great. Now take that and make it better.
1: Right. But you can but the problem is where do you stop going down the spiral of I can't make it any better? And
0: your poor brain aches so much that you're weeping blood out of your
1: And there yeah, there's yeah. various people that are like, Well, if you go through it again and you only change a couple things or You know, I only do four editing passes on a story, and then I I release it. At some point, I think what you need to get over is the fear that it's not as good as you can make it, and realize that at whatever point you release it, it is as good as you can make it. If you
0: love it, let it go. Right. And then... Just leave it there.
1: (laughs) But at the same time, I don't want to encourage people to just write a first draft and then put that out and say, well, this is as good as I can make it. You have to put some work in, but you also have to know when to stop. And so like everything else about writing, it's a matter of balance. Yes. And you just have to learn that. But I think if you're one of those people who's stuck in a self-editing cycle… And I've had friends who did this, who would write a chapter and then would go back and revise the chapter and would go back and revise it and would revise it again and then would have a new idea and would rewrite it. And, like, you know, at some point you have to move on. You're, I think if you're telling yourself something's wrong, I need to move on, that's your clue that you need to move on.
0: Yeah. All right. So we do our last that's one? All I have to. S- yes. We're. So, Dear Unsheath. I'll, I'll read this quickly. Yep. Dear Unsheath Group. I was having a discussion today with Lion Dog about story writing and how most of the literature he read he hated because it didn't have character development. In episode forty two, you talked a lot about character development, and I thought I would put my thoughts on it. Put in my thoughts on it. I think that no matter how the character is, characters in the stories always need to be developed. It's like boiling an egg. You have to make sure that the character is hard boiled by the end of the story. Otherwise, these characters will just be bland and runny. When creating a story a person needs to take into account. Okay, how would this character react to the situation? As a side note, I, I will add that, it, it, at least in my writing philosophy, you can also have your characters end up scrambled. I do that all the time.
1: <laughs> yes, you do. Your characters are rarely sunny side up.
0: I was going to say, I think in Kyle's stories, a lot of them are over easy.
1: Oh, ow! Plus one to the otter.
0: That's right. Thank you, noble noble listener for, for that one. You set up the stir and I just spiked that right the hell down. Continuing with the email. In my book, I had to take out an entire sex scene because it didn't fit in with the situation. Of course, the scene wasn't that great anyway, so killing that child wasn't hard. Instead, I inserted a nice, thick conversation right into the muzzles of the characters. <laughs> Feel free to use that for your blowjob reference of the day. Which, I don't know if Dr. Impossible's robot sharks were going to count for that or not. That right. definitely made much more sense based on the personalities of the characters involved. In regards to Romeo and Juliet, I'm pretty sure that the story still would have gone on as it did, even if they did have cell phones, because more than likely they would have had bad reception since there were no cell phone towers. Curse you and your semantics! <laughs> and I bequeath unto you a boot to the head. <laughs> Finally, my question for the episode is this. Now that my book is complete, or at least it should be by the time this is run right on air, I need to have it looked over by editors. When you go to have a book published, how do you find people to edit your stories? Do you offer them some sort of compensation for having them take time out of their lives to help you? Is there anyone slash any place you would recommend me going to try to find good editors? Thank you for having an amazing podcast. Sigh the Cheetah. Lap Nuzzle Virgin.
1: Ah. Aw, that makes me sad everyone should everyone should have a good lap nuzzle now and then um, yes but that aside I, I i'd be very and not from a robot shark no um't
0: they don 't they don't nuzzle too tender
1: no i'd be i'd be wary of paying someone to edit your book um i've heard of people who've done that with mixed results i think What you need to find is, well, A, you need to get good at editing yourself. You can't just, you know, okay, I've written 70,000 words, and now I need someone else to edit it. You have to be able to go through at least one major editing pass yourself.
0: Yes. Second, um,
1: if you find a, a publisher, this is not always the case in the furry fandom, but... Um, major publishers will provide an editor. So the thing you would do is you would send your story to an agent. They would sell it to a publisher who would provide you with an editor to do the final touch-ups, but that's not the right major kind of editing that you would need to do yourself. So within also, the fandom...
0: yeah. Also, within the fandom, you're probably not going to be getting agented.
1: Right. Um, I would go... I would check out the furry writing forums on Affinity because a lot of good people hang out there. And uh you know you might find someone who's willing to edit your novel, but again you need to you need to develop that skill of reading yourself as critically as you read other people.
0: yeah, as for like how to find people i mean if you know anyone else who writes or anyone else who reads a lot. Who you think would be able to give you? I mean, they don't need to be grammatical geniuses, and they don't need to like have like a spell checker in their brain. But if they kind of, if they're the kind of person who can tell you, hey, this part of your story is really slow. I didn't get what happened in this part of the book, you know. This character drives me off the wall. Like stuff like that is all really valuable for when you're doing your own editing, even if they're not going to go down and actually sit and like quote unquote edit for you. It's like, you know, when when Kyle gives me his drafts and his manuscripts, I don't actually like sit up and edit them for him, but I do, you know, take a bunch of notes on his stuff and I tell him, Okay, hey, here's what I liked, here's, you know, where I was confused, here's where I think you could improve. And I mean, that's, and then he takes that and does it. And then he does the actual, like, rewriting and editing.
1: That's right. I I give you the big, the big long thing, and you say faster or slower. And...
0: <laughs> faster or slower. We need to get to the climax faster. <laughs> we need to get to the climax earlier so I can go to bed. Um... <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to make me fall asleep.
1: But yeah, and one of the things you need to do is distinguish between an editor and a proofreader. I think a lot of the times yes. people that offer to edit your book for money are really just proofreaders. And what they are going to do is they'll go through and they'll find your grammar mistakes and your spelling mistakes and you know, maybe suggest alternate words to use here and there. But what you really want is people who are willing to sit down and read your book and who will say and who will say more than just Oh, yeah, I really liked it. It was fun. Who will? I mean, because a lot of times when people read for pleasure, if there's a part that's kind of boring, they'll skip over it. But they won't necessarily tell you that. And so you have to be able to tell them, was there any point where you skimmed over, where you started to get bored? Was there any point where you were kind of confused? Even if it was explained later, I I need to know where you were confused. Was there any point where a character's behavior felt kind of weird to you? Um, or didn 't make sense, or something like that, and a lot of people can can do that for you. They can tell you yeah. what their experience with the book was, but you have to tell them specifically what you 're looking for because even if they 're not your friends looking to you know not make you all angry at them people don 't necessarily think that way when they 're reading a book
0: yeah, and really, like the more eyes you can get on something, the better. Like with my draft for Summerhill, I have over half a dozen people looking at that right now. And I mean, you know, some of them are gonna be more thorough with their feedback than others, but it has never been the case that when I've given, you know, a workout that, you know, I've had just completely redundant feedback from one person. Right, and it's it's always been the case that like everyone will say at least one unique thing that nobody else had said, and that's you know you weigh that and you go, okay, is this valid? Yes, no. Okay, if it is valid, do I still want to change it? Yes, no. I mean, and you know that just getting those perspectives really helps.
1: And we're kind of lucky because we have a we have a bunch of friends that have studied story story writing and you know, the the writing process, and so they can say, instead of just I was kind of confused by this character, they can say things like it felt like this character's this character didn't belong in this scene, and you kind of needed to set him up earlier, and, you know, what? I, where I think you were missing was here and here and here, you needed to put something in, a, you know, they can give you more technical details, as opposed to just saying, ah, this scene felt wrong to me somehow. But, You know, again, you have to learn to interpret people's feedback like that because you're not always going to have people being able to give you specifically directed feedback.
0: These two characters should yiff. Why aren't they yiffing?
1: (laughs) They should be yiffing faster.
0: (laughs) And for a longer sequence of pages.
1: (laughs) Make them yiff again.
0: Write uh, a sequel where they yiff again <laughs> the exact same way as in this story.
1: Except on a moon base instead of in the jungle. Um, <laughs> and that,
0: that that just makes me think about Doctor Impossible again.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't bring that up.
0: Doctor Impossible's Volcano Fortress, Doctor Impossible's Moon Base.
1: Now that sounds like a series of like sequels to Harry Potter, um, which you should totally write.
0: I'll do what I can. Secret project comes first.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, you know, we get a ton of questions about editing, and we're hopefully going to do a show all about it in the near future. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully that'll sort of help people get a little bit more into it. Uh, I think. It, I think. By it,
0: the way, congratulations on having written a book, Sy. Si. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Or at least a batch of a book. That's an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. Congratulations. You should get someone to de you.
0: Yes, celebratory lap nuzzles yes. are the best kind of lap nuzzles.
1: Uh maybe second best after makeup lap nuzzles.
0: Uh they're close.
1: Kit kid is shaking his head and telling me we're we're running low on time, but
0: I was gonna say like you can get like, you know, like there's like angry fucking I can't picture what like an angry blowjob is like. Like yeah, you you sit there and let me suck your dick.
1: <laughs> I think you could be angry getting one, but that would be a little different. And you couldn't be too angry because you know teeth. Exactly. But I think we've really exhausted the blowjob references for this show. Um. Yes, we're we're all yes, as Kit says, we're all spent. Um. So, we will uh, we will leave you with that. If you have suggestions for Sai the Cheetah for uh, for editing his book, if you're willing to read his book and give him feedback on it, um, write us into the show. We're at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can always contact me and Hirosaki-san also, although we are probably not going to offer to edit your book for you, because we have full-time jobs, and I uh, have... Um, other projects to keep us busy even when we don't. So Yeah,
0: there's 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 plenty of stuff that we do outside of writing and podcasts and our day jobs that keeps us busy. Exactly. If I had to go over and edit or, you know, revise all the story requests I got, I would be dead by
1: now. Yes, or at least very, very tired and not in a good way. But you can contact me at uh, kylegold.livejournal.com By the time this is released, you should probably be able to find all of my information on my new revamped site with the pretty spiffy art and the pretty spiffy code, thanks to Camoy and Foosball, at www.kylegold.com. So check that out. And uh, stop by the SoFolf table at Anthrocon and pick up the unsheathed DVD. We will not be selling it. Online or by mail order or anything, um, we'll be giving it to SoFWolf to take with them to conventions. So it'll be at uh, Anthrocon, Comic-Con, Rocky Mountain Furcon, Rainforest, Midwest, the rest of this year. So if you can't make it to one of the cons, ask someone to pick it up for you.
0: Yes, they get their sticky paws all over it for you. Yep. Man, now I want a box of the sticky paws again.
1: Well, when you're back in the remote mountain bunker studio here, we will see what we can do. Consider that an enticement, And uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you for, thank you all for listening, as always. I am Kyle Gold.
0: And I am KM Hirosaki, thanking you all for being so enthusiastic.
1: Yeah, uh, we had a ton of emails in our box this week, so we very much appreciate that. Yeah. And we will get to them, hopefully, as, as best we can.
0: I'll remain diligent.
1: Indeed. Diligent otter paws and diligent foxy paws. Waving our paws. Good night. Keep writing.